Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. You're listening to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is part three of our interview with Michael Meharry. Well, you know, it really is the federal government who is really pushing all of this through so many different means, one of which of course, is to make people dependent on the federal government. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, you see that from, you see that all the way from, you know, the welfare state to uh, selling the idea that the uh, the federal government is going to protect you. You know, you're talking about all of the surveillance uh, type of issues. You know, basically, uh, one of the uh, senators from Kansas yesterday basically said that if, we don't let them spy on everybody in the United States, we're all going to die. Well, you know, that's creating this mental dependence. Oh, my gosh, we have to have the federal government protect us. No, <laughs> we, don't, we don't need that, but it does. It creates this dependency. And, you know, a friend of mine, and, and he made a really good point. He said that the way the system is in the United States, the majority generally gets what it wants. So one of the biggest problems that, that face us is breaking and educating this mentality out of people that says that the big government's going to do all these great and wonderful things for us. We need to become more self-sufficient. We need to become more locally oriented. And that's an educational process that has to happen underneath of all of this. The legislative stuff is important, but I think the most important thing is for us to be interacting with our our friends and our neighbors and, and helping to teach that we need... To decentralize, we need to pull ourselves away from this idea that that people are going to take care of us, and and you know that's almost more of a moral issue than anything. But uh, most of our our founding generation made the point that self governance takes some moral fiber, and uh, I think that's another important aspect of this that can't be missed. We can talk about policy and and history and uh, uh, you know pragmatic approaches that we can take all day, and that's certainly important, but equally as important is changing the mindset of, of the populace, because as long as people think that the government's going to do something for them or give them something, and it's going to be this great and wonderful thing with no strings attached, well, the harder it is for us to break that cycle. Of course, and that's really the point, is the more people are dependent on the government, the more they look to the government for solutions to their problem. And that is a re-education process. This government, our central government now, has been doing this on purpose, making people uh, dependent on food stamps, on welfare, on child care, on all of the other programs that by which the federal government redistributes wealth, uh, not wealth, but redistributes income uh, around 
Now those people who are receiving the largesse of the federal government at the expense of the productive class of citizens, they are now dependent on the government. And it's no different than the states being dependent on the federal government for funds. When you're dependent for funds, that's when you lose some of your independence. And as when it comes down to uh, the police, national police, how well did that work out for Nazi Germany? It's the same concept. It did not work out well because nationalization of police or internationalization of police is just a prescription for tyranny and subjugation of people. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's that adage that uh, Sir Acton said many, many years ago, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when you give, you know, you might create this entity, you know, this national police force, and it, it may work okay for a little while, but there's always that danger there. And at some point, somebody with bad motives is going to get a hold of that power level and start yanking on it, and that's where you get in trouble. And, and this is what I tell people all the time because I get very frustrated by the fact that uh, we, have a, uh, we have a great deal of bipartisan agreement that we should use government power to do this or that. Now, we may argue from the left and the right about you know, what the government should do on this side and what the government should do on that side. But I always tell people, uh, you know, especially when I'm talking to, to people that are, are self-described conservatives, but then all of a sudden they want the, the federal government to do this one thing, you know, get involved in this one issue. And I tell them, you're opening a very deadly door when you do that, because when you allow for the power to be used for what you consider good, at some point it's going to be turned against you to be used for evil. So better to not have the power level lever there at all rather than to fight over it. So I'd like to eliminate those power levels. Level. I keep saying level. I mean lever. Eliminate those power levers instead of fighting over them. You know, this is the problem of the single-issue voter. They attach themselves to one single issue that generally speaking is one of the very minor issues, maybe a social issue or whatever, but it becomes of such overriding importance to them that they are, they're willing to give up all kinds of freedom, all kinds of property, all kinds of everything, everything that we should never, ever want to give up just because of one tiny issue. Uh, and that's really what, to me, is what's running uh, election processes in this country today that single-issue voter who really shouldn't count, but he does. Right. I always call it pragmatism over principle. And we need more people that, that are principled, that are standing up for the foundational principles that this country was, was built upon, you know, individual liberty, uh, the right to property, the, the right to life, the right to protect yourself, all of those fundamental things that we should not give up for any reason whatsoever. Uh, so many of these trade-offs are so dangerous. You, know, you, you talk about the surveillance state, and people say, well, we need it to protect us. But, you know, as, as uh, Ben Franklin famously said, somebody who is willing to give up liberty for security deserves neither. We have to hold tightly to those principles, or else we're completely lost. And in, in, it's like you say, we end up floating in this realm of issue to issue, with nothing really anchoring us. And, uh, it's a sad thing, but, you know, I, I think people have, have woken up a little bit. I, I mean, I know I have. I was I was definitely in the category, you know, six or seven years ago of that 
single or a couple of issue voters that, that basically saw everything through a party lens. And uh, so I guess if I can be awakened, other people can too. And, and I think that's a big part of this this process, you know, going back to educating people and, and teaching people and, you know, things like your radio show that are out there that people listen to and begin to change those ideas that are in their head. So uh, all I can say is we need to continue this, this fight and, uh, you know, even in even when it seems daunting and discouraging, I think it's important to, to continue and, and push. Well, that's really, really true. And I, and I like the idea of pushing at the local level. That really is where we have the opportunity uh, really to get it done. You know, you mentioned sovereignty and, and property. Really, this is a nation that is built upon the concept of private, private property ownership. As a matter of fact, the right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral and constitutional basis for individual freedom. And to our founders, your individual private property consisted of your land, your home, your possessions, but also the work of your hands, the idea of ideas of your brain, and your life itself. That those that is what uh, made up the totality of your private property. And they wrote a whole constitution, all four handwritten pages, to protect the individual's sovereign right to own that private property in its totality. That's what the Constitution is really about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting because when you take it down to that most basic level, and this is what gives me hope, most people still, at some level, understand that. And you know they understand it when you start suggesting that you take their stuff. You know, they might be willing to take somebody else's stuff, but when it, even the most far left person, you know, when you start talking about, well, you know, give me your uh, your iPad there. Well, no, they're not going to give you their iPad. That's mine. Well, that indicates at some level they do understand the concept of private property. Nobody really wants, uh, and I think people recognize that it's impossible to have this whole idea of, of corporate ownership of everything. It's it's uh, it's not even utopian. It's just dumb. And so at least we still have that foundation to start with. Uh, we just need people to understand that, you know, if I'm going to respect your property, then you need to respect mine as well. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum will return right after this break. Well, that's an important point, you know, and realistically, when you start talking to people who are very, very willing to confiscate your property to give to someone else, uh, they really balk at you saying, well, wait a minute, how about if you give your iPad or or your whatever, why don't you give your stuff away? And and that really is when it hits home, that it's, it's not okay to take my stuff uh, to give to someone else, just like it's not okay for me to take your stuff to give to someone else. I mean, that just doesn't work. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, like I said, that that kind of thing gives me hope because at least we have something to work with. Um, it's not easy, that's for sure. But at least there's some level there that, that people still grasp these fundamental things that are kind of part of the American DNA, so to speak. Well, it's also a matter of dealing in facts 
and logical conclusions from the facts instead of emotion. And that's the other kind of battle that we're fighting, is that if you are a factual person, you understand that you develop a set of facts, you verify that the facts are true, and then you apply those facts in order to reach a logical conclusion. And then that is a position that you take because facts lead to the logical conclusion that shows you the right way. What, you, what we're fighting, though, are people who say, yeah, I know those are the facts, but I don't feel that way. I don't feel that's right. Well, I don't care how you feel. If the facts are contrary to your feelings, your facts really trump your feelings from a, from a societal point of view. It's just like all the money that is spent on programs for, uh, for whatever program you want to say. I mean, you look at all this billions and billions, billions of dollars, unjustified. I mean, and you look at the facts. Why are those programs still there? Why are we still paying? I heard yesterday that we're still paying for a program to use elephants. Um, let's see, elephants to find uh, bombs, I think. Bombs sniffing elephants. or It's something, something so preposterous <laughs> that, you know, that's why people at some point say, well, my God, my money is coming out of my pocket to go to pay for things like that. That's what's happening, and and I think the more people that really can understand that, um, the better off we're going to be. I, yeah, I like to do that a lot to point out the uh, the absurdity. You'll, you'll hear me talk a lot about when I talk about federal overreach. You know, the fact that the uh, that the federal government can dictate the size of your toilet and, and the uh, type of light bulb that you screw into your light fixture. And you know, I think I said that earlier, actually. And, and I use those not because those are the most nefarious things that the federal government is doing. I mean, there's certainly worse things, but they are easily recognized as absurd. And it snaps people to attention a little bit and go, oh, yeah, that is pretty stupid. And, you know, one of the, uh, one of the issues that has been uh, particularly successful, uh, very small, little, teeny sliver of nullification – that uh, a huge number of states have enacted in the last year and a half is what we call right to try. And essentially what it does is it, is it legalizes at the state level. It allows terminally ill patients to access FD, uh, unapproved FD or treatments that have not been approved by the FDA. So, you know, if somebody has a terminal illness and they've exhausted all of the, uh, the traditional treatments, they are able to try these uh, non-approved uh, treatment programs, even though the FDA hasn't, you know, put their stamp of approval on it. And it's been so successful because it crosses party lines. Everybody recognizes that some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. shouldn't be able to make a decision to keep somebody from trying something that could save their life. So when you put it in that framework, People are like, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I know the federal government. Well, all of a sudden, you've got people that never in their life would consider nullification as, a, as an option suddenly becoming avid nullifiers. And so we can, you know, it's the, uh, the, the old salesman tactic, I guess you call it, the, the foot-in-the-door tactic. You know, you do the little thing and you get your foot in the door, and then you can push that door open. And uh, so extremely effective, very small little nullification movement because it it 
it illustrates the absurdity of things that are going on in Washington, D.C., and the more people recognize the absurdity, the more people are willing to push back against it. Well, that really is is where it's at. How about uh, a couple other quick points? Um, How about executive orders that really go way, way beyond constitutional uh, uh, limitations? How, How do we deal with that? Well, I think we deal with those the same in the same way that we deal with the uh, with the um, things that Congress passes that are outside of the constitutionally prescribed uh, limits on on federal power. You ignore them, and you refuse to implement them, and you push back against them in any way possible. Uh, you know, it's it's the uh, the Rosa Parks method. You know, you say no, I'm not giving up my on the bus. This is wrong, and we're going to we're going to take a stand on this. And uh, a couple of states actually uh, proposed bills. I don't think any of them passed. Um, one in Arizona might have passed one house, but anyway, uh, there have been some some states that have looked at uh, specifically dealing with executive orders and saying if this is not authorized by Congress, because Congress is the ones that are supposed to be making laws then we're not going to pay any attention to it. It's going to take, again, a number of states taking this action, but it's the same thing. It's nullification. We can nullify an executive order in, in the same way that we can nullify a, a, a congressional law, and, and I think that they should be treated in the exact same way. They're powers that are uh, not delegated. They're powers that are being uh, exercised without any authority, and they should be uh, ignored and beaten back. <laughs> Well, you know, we're really under the grip of nameless, faceless bureaucrats. It's really the shadow government that we're that we're dealing with. Congress doesn't really pass laws anymore as much as it give passes sort of a framework, and then mm-hmm. it has all of these unelected people um, deciding how to fill that framework out. And there's a result of that. We have ridicu- just ridiculous regulations, rules. Things that are that really just try the patience of, of any kind of a rational person. Uh, I think that's what we're fighting, and the only way to really stand up against that is uh, practical nullification. I, I really like that concept, and I think it's you know a very very good uh, concept. Uh, and you you know that's what the Tenth Amendment Center is is about, and I, I really like the Tenth Amendment Center. You guys have done some incredible stuff. I certainly urge my listeners to go to the Tenth Amendment Center uh, website, which is tenthamendmentcenter.com, and uh, look up Michael Meharry because uh, he's got a book, Our Last Hope, which is an incredible book. Uh, so we've had a discussion about things that really matter to our freedom. Uh, what are your last words, Michael? Well, I just want to uh, leave people with a sense of uh, a sense of optimism. It's easy to get down. It's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to feel like we're fighting a losing battle that that we can never win. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think that a very small vocal minority can turn a very large ship. Uh, you know, if you go back to the colonial era. Uh, the people that were really willing to buck the British system were in, in the vast minority early on, and they 
continued to agitate and they continued to express their ideas. And uh, ultimately, we see what happens in the end. Uh, That was the the 3%, Michael Meharry. And I want to thank you so very, very much for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. This has been a very, very informative uh, series of programs. Thank you so much, Michael. I very much enjoyed it, and I appreciate the opportunity, and wish you all the best. Thanks. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Yeah, when I play the hoochie-coochie man... I get joy in everything, 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 everything gonna be all right this morning.